Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading Harold Sanjin by Patricia Sanjin with permission of Ten of Those Publishing Company. We are continuing reading Chapter 9, and this is Part 2, A Real Citizen of the World. He must have stayed in thousands of homes in different lands, and many may look back and thank God that he ever turned aside to sojourn with them. He was a perfect gentleman in any situation, wrote one of his hosts. I have lived with him in other people's houses, and he was an example to all itinerant preachers of decorum, friendliness, and helpfulness. It was nothing for him to go into the kitchen and wash up the dishes. I have been with him in the house of mourning, and his kindly sympathy and loving tact taught us, who were younger, how to act in such circumstances. For one thing, he was always anxious to meet the children probably a rare taste in one who often had two or three heavy meetings a day, but nevertheless a key to a mother's heart. But perhaps for the sake of the five at home, they drew him irresistibly and he them. Where are the children, he suddenly asked at the close of a meal in a home in Scotland. It was supposed they had slipped away to do their homework, but it was snowing hard, and Mr. Sanjin caught sight of them through the window. He was out in a moment in the thick of a snow fight. It was two girls and a boy against the preacher, for they were a match for each other both in strength and in the glowing enjoyment. They flocked to him wherever he went. There was a memory of him at one of the last Gretelton conferences, sitting with little Hilary Pope on his lap, imagining himself unobserved. What were they so absorbed in, the white-haired saint and the curly baby? The onlooker approached softly and heard the following, interrupted at the end of each line by peals of baby laughter. Sing a song of dot dot dot, three pence half a penny, a pocket full of dot 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 oats, four and twenty dot 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 robins, baked in a dot 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 pudding. And on those little children in whose homes he visited, he left an abiding impression. There is a precious letter to hand that tells of a little girl, Ethel Gray, who over 40 years ago used to sit on the stairs with her sisters and wait for his coming. Of course, we were only children at the time, but how great can the influence of a good man be on the life of a little child? On thinking it over while reminiscing on that great Christian gentleman, Mr. Santon, it came to me that I owed to him a great deal more than I realized. It was when I was about six that I remember him, and certain scenes form an integral part of my childhood background. We were living in Buenos Aires at the time, and Mr. Sanjin visited us on Sunday. At least I think it was Sunday. Any day of the week felt like Sunday when he was around, and his visits were prized by us children as though he were our special visitor. We called him our Mr. Sanjin. We would gather, three of us, aged between four and seven, round the top of the iron staircase that led to our floor, and wait there for his footsteps. The first to hear it announced in ringing tones, Mr. Sanjin, and then our hands would be clinging to his trousers, escorting him to the dining room. I remember him next at table. He was so quiet, so gracious, so courteous. My place was opposite his, and I observed, as a child will, every movement. Unconsciously, his example became engraved on my mind, and it is this that his influence has had the greatest power over me. He made us mind our manners, and I saw how he rose to open a door, to set a chair, and how Mother came first. I noticed that his voice never rose, his movements were gentle, he never contradicted, and a thousand more little things. Our love for him made him a person to live up to, 
and many a time in later years I wondered to myself, reviewing my life among the poorest communities from where I got my concept of the English gentleman and Christian courtesy. And now I realize it was from Mr. Sanjin. He devoted a part of his visit exclusively to us and taught us little choruses and set scriptures to memorize. He always brought some little packages to Mother containing some dainties that made Sunday tea special. But there came a Sunday that was to be his last, and there was a little package for each of us. We glanced at Mother, and she nodded permission, and I recall that, that as she looked very touched as we each unwrapped our own, a tiny china tea set, a tiny doll, even the baby had something. We never saw him again, and we missed him terribly. His name was a household word, and Mr. Sanjin says, and this Mr. Sanjin does, were constant references. Yet as the years went by and his memory became more, much more like a legendary, his physical presence faded, but his example sank deeper and deeper into our consciousness, so that the habits of gentleness and courtesy and God-fearing obedience were formed and retained. To him, each little child was of infinite importance, and there was a story told how he took the small child of the house for a walk in a golden autumn forest in North America. Sitting on a fallen log, he picked up an exquisitely tinted leaf, and with his arm around the child, he traced the story of the leaf from spring to autumn, the drawing in of sunshine and rain, and the giving out of such beauty in its dying. And the child said, I understand what you mean. When I'm little, I must take in every good thing I can get, and when I'm old, I shall give it out again in happiness and in goodness. I saw Jesus in his face the first time I ever met him. I was 12 years old, but I've loved him ever since, wrote another. As a visitor, however, his presence could occasionally be disturbing. He was having supper in a home to which he was a stranger when one of the young daughters began to criticize and sneer at some godly old evangelist. Another member of the house made some withering remark about another body of believers. And Mr. Sanjin turned quietly to his host, rising from the table. He said, you won't mind if I go now, will you? But... His host said in surprise, we've only just started supper. Well, replied Mr. Sanjin, I've made it a rule never to sit in the company of people who are speaking disparagingly of God's servants. I must ask you either to excuse me or to change the subject. The subject was changed and the meal proceeded, but the next morning when the family had gone off, the hostess sought out Mr. Sanjin and burst into tears. I couldn't sleep last night, she said, for thinking of what happened. We've got into the habit of criticizing other Christians, and my boys have grown up to despise preachers. Neither of them was at the meeting last night. If only we could start again and have things different. In the countries where he traveled, he was often urged to settle, and at one time he was on the brink of accepting the headship of a large Bible college in America. But it was not to be, and he remained a traveler to the end. Much of the richness of his illustrations sprang from his travels, for wherever he went, by sea or land, from mountain scenery, from animal life, from architecture or history, from plant customs or from conversations with children, he gathered material that drew new light on his Bible teaching. In vivid, dramatic language, he would relate an experience that would engrave some deep truth indelibly on the mind. How vividly, for example, he pressed home the doctrine of the heavenly places in the following antidote. A few years ago, I was in a zoo in Australia where they had a magnificent pair of golden eagles 
14 feet across from the tip of one wing to the tip of the other. And with an unconscious piece of sarcasm, they said that these eagles were caged in spacious cages. I stood outside and looked. The cages were about 30 by 20 feet. The catalog might think it's a spacious cage, but I should like to have asked the eagles what they thought about a cage where they could just hop backwards and forwards when they were used to soaring towards the sun, mile after mile in limitless space. How many of the Lord's dear people are living in small cages when they might be soaring to unimagined heights of fellowship with God? And all the secret of a life hid with Christ and God was flashed upon him as he crossed a bridge on horseback in South America. How does the hidden life manifest itself? I remember years ago in Brazil, we had to cross a single plank bridge to reach the main road. Now on this side of the stream, there was very seldom sunshine, and the ground was barren and bare. But on the brink of the further shore of the stream, there was perpetual sunshine, bright flowers and bushes. One morning as I was going out and just putting my foot on the plank to cross, I noticed on the left hand of the streamlet, a magnificent plant in full vigor and beauty. I turned back to see how it was that in this barren and sunless stretch, with circumstances so unfriendly that nothing could really thrive, such a lovely thing had grown. And I was delighted to notice that the plant had come from the other side of the river on which the sun shone. It had sent a tendril that had gripped the grooves of the plank, and then by waving itself about in the air, it had found a piece of ground into which it could dig and bury its tendrils. And then a few inches away, it had lifted its crest and brought forth exquisite flowers out of the midst of barrenness. It ran from the root for about ten feet, and as it lifted its head, you could see that it drew its nourishment from the other side. Its life was sustained by the sun shining on the further shores of the river. And with deep precision, I may say that there exactly is the Christian pathway, life in the midst of an unfriendly world where sin and the gloom of our surroundings may well condemn us to sterility. Yet here and there you will see a man filled with the Spirit. You will see a woman bringing forth fruit to God, and you will meet such people on these unfriendly shores. You wonder how they sustain their lives. This is the hidden life. You died. That is, you cut the links with sin in the past, and your life is hid with Christ. It's up there in the land of sunshine. He is your life, and because you drew from hidden springs, bud, blossom, and fruit will be produced. The Swiss chamois, leaping from one pinpoint of a rock to the other, silhouetted against the sky, lit up the book of Habakkuk. The high snows of the Andes and the tropic forest spoke to him of the climates of the soul. Whatever the temperatures of the soul today, these are the hills of the everlasting God, and you may tread them. But to do so, you must have hind's feet. An incident in Australia illustrated the principle of overcoming evil with good. Just where I was staying, he related, was a small but a very go-ahead town. They built fine buildings, but the citizens were grieved they had no river. They weren't going to lie under a reproach like that for long. So they dug channels, and soon they had a fine river running through the city. But they soon discovered that there was something wrong with the river. The bed was covered with deadly weed, and they dredged it, but there was no good. The weeds came up again. Nothing could kill them. Then a wise man came along and said, You're wasting your time. All you need to do is to plant a row of poplar trees 
on either bank, and they will take all the goodness of the soil, and the weeds will die. This they actually did. And not only had they conquered the evil, but they also conquered it by good, that they had two fine rows of trees as a result of their difficulties. So don't only get rid of the weeds, but make a festive avenue of green through your struggles. The broad beam of light from the huge vessel, the Bengaria, that guided the pilot ship back to port across the stormy waters of the dark harbor, was to him the light of the word of God. Wherewith shall your youth make its way radiant? Psalm 119.9 The only thing those soldiers had to do was to bend their backs and row, follow the track of light across the darkness, until they reached their desired, desired haven. The moment they left the path of light, anything might happen. The roof of Michelangelo's Sistine Chapel in Rome reflected a mirror placed at a certain angle, spoke to him of the glory of God revealed in Christ. The steadfast set of the compass on a ship, tossed far out of its course yet straining to regain its bearings in the storm, reminded him of Christ, the steadfast pattern ever pointing Godwards. Shattered and battered, the ship may be, but as long as it keeps veering towards the compass, it will reach port. And in this life of constant travel and change, did he ever tire? He certainly did, but he had his own resources. He tells how once, coming down Broadway, New York, on a hot day, he looked up at the huge skyscraper, scores of stories high, and felt very tired indeed. Then he saw just behind him a little old wooden church where George Washington used to worship, next door to the $25 million state building. So he went into the little church and sat down for a few moments of quiet. And as he sat there, the choir boys began singing from the back of the church. Jesus, lover of my soul, let me to thy bosom fly. I jumped up, said Mr. Sanjin. I was not tired anymore. I said, Lord, I found something bigger than the skyscrapers and the banks and bigger than all the show and the flaunting of the wealthiest city in the world. The thing for which this little wooden church stands will last and outlive all of that. And I went down Broadway singing the Lord's song. And to my ears, the Lord's song never sounded better when I sang it in Broadway, New York. As a young man, he traveled much with Dr. Alfred Burton in Ireland and with Lord Radstock on the continent, later with Mr. Payne in South America, and Mr. Broadbent and Mr. McNair in Brazil, and Mr. Knox and Mr. C.F. Hogg in the USA. But for the most part, he traveled alone. Tomorrow we be reading Chapter 10, The Churchman. I love you, I'm praying for you, and I hope that you're being blessed by uh, Mr. Sanjin's biography as much as I am. Actually, I'm being more than blessed. My heart's been pricked in a lot of ways, so I hope that has had the same effect on you as well, and uh, I'll be praying for you. Bye-bye for now. I'll see you tomorrow.